Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Stormcast. I'm your host, Armstrong Williams. Are you defined by materialism or by your values and your virtues, what you believe in? Do you really know what you believe, or you, is it manufactured by the media and others who dictate your thoughts? Today, we're going to talk about the things that really matter. What is happening to this country? You see it. You see the chaos, kids killing parents, kids kidnapping young women that they're attracted to and killing their parents to do so. What about the moral striving? What about the underpinnings of our values and our virtues and what really matter in life? And who are we? Are we becoming what the media writes we should become? Or do we have our own deep views and our own conscience to break through this jarring destruction that we see every day where everything is divisive? Somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. That is this edition of The Strong Cast with your host, Armstrong Williams. Join us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Strongcast. You know, we have been facing some brutally cold, frigid weather. I don't even know if you follow uh, the weather in Chicago, but I was talking to my buddy, Tom Abood, who I attended the Super Bowl with last January in his hometown of Minneapolis. And he told me at one point uh, recently, with the wind chill, it was 55 degrees below. Man, that is almost... A death wish. But you know why I don't worry about winter? Because that's what it's supposed to be. When it's winter, it's supposed to be cold. Summer's supposed to be hot. And, you know, I just pray for people who cannot afford the heat, uh, who find themselves in the weather where they have to deliver and, and things that we don't even have to think about. And then they wake up like this FedEx employee, find themselves frozen. It's just, you never know what people go through. And the beautiful thing about media is that sometimes we forget the stories they remind us and they bring us about humanity and how humanity suffers through these, I won't call it as a, as a natural disaster, just a storm of life. Now, what I'm talking about right now is no bearing on what I want to talk about today in the Strongcast with my very good friend. This is my very dear friend. This is my brother, Greg Chris. I'm so happy to have him on. And William Riccadella uh, from the Washington Examiner. And I want to talk about something I think we should all talk about more. You look at my guest. Look at that snazzy tie he has on. <laughs> Well-dressed, snazzy tie, gray suit. Trying to compete with you. So, no, no, no. You know, we don't really, when we're getting ready to go on TV or an interview, or we're meeting somebody on a date, we want to present an image of who we are. The dress is the first thing that people see. But you know what? It's an illusion. It's something that you can spend money on to look any way you want to look and have people think about you any way you want them to think. And, and so we call this dressing for success. Um, and when people think us, look at us, they think we may have money, we may have status. That has become so important in our society. What success is. The perception of my wearing this fancy $50,000 watch. People think that is $50,000 watch, by the way. I hate to tell you that. I hope nobody's trying to rob me. Because I do care, by the way. But anyhow, I'm just making a point. It's all about the show. But the, the, the question I want to ask our guests today, because when you go through the challenges of life, uh, the obstacles of life, whether it's marriage, whether it's a job, whether it's your health, whether it's relationships, the last thing on your mind is what you have on what you're wearing, that's the last thing on your mind. And I think what has happened in our society today, we have forgotten what true success, what true wealth, and what the true measure of a man is. And what I wanted to do 
is talk about less about materialism and sort of through this uh, audio of this strong cast it get people to think about what they really value because there's a reason why people commit suicide there's a reason why they're strung out on opioids there's a reason why kids kill their parents or attempt to kill their parents there's a reason why there's such a divide but it's much more than what the media tells us it's about what we think is expected of us and we buy into it and it's not really who we are Greg you know when you think about it I have heard an old Southern Baptist preacher say one time, we go through life where we know the price of everything and the value of nothing. And uh, I think that's very true even in society today. And if you put, if you stay with that faith lens, um, everyone is made to worship something, right? If you think about the word worship, it means worth-ship. What is worthy <clears throat> of your focus in life? And you've touched on it. So, and we're drawn to different things and the trappings of society and what's around us says to many that that's worthy of my attention. But what it is, is, is it draws your attention away from, as you've pointed out, the true, meaningful, the deeper elements, the conversations, the relationships. And if you keep it at that superficial level and you worship that, you fail. You fail miserably because you feel insufficient, inadequate, insatiable. And all of that adds up, and then after a while, you're wandering. So if you put that faith element on, what is it? You know, we are created by a creator. So if you're worshiping the created and not the creator, you're always going to fall short in what you value. William? I mean, I agree with that, uh, you know, from the standpoint of, I, I think, in public discourse, as you can see, particularly in politics, you know, truth is, is there, there doesn't seem to be any semblance of truth anymore. If you're on a college campus, they completely elide truth from the discussion. It's about subjectivity. And I think to some degree that breeds nihilism. I think a lot of young people in particular, uh, you know, tend to lack purpose or they don't understand purpose or where your purpose comes from, that it comes from faith, this reason and logic. Why am I here? And I think it's here to be selfless, altruistic. You mentioned wearing a suit. And you said, you know what, it, it portrays an image and you wear it to portray an image. I come on your show, I wear a suit because I, I respect your show. If it was about me, I'd just come on here with a t-shirt and jeans. But I think that, you know, a lot of people have kind of lost that, you know, uh, respect for others. I think it is about them. When they wear a suit, it's just it's just about me. When I wear a suit to a, to a, a job interview, I wear it because I respect the job. If I wear a suit to a date, it's because I respect the other person. I don't do a lot of things for me. So I think, you have, I think people have to look at what is success? What is their purpose? Is it to make themselves feel good? Is it to make others feel good? And you know, I think some discussion of faith, this reason and logic, what is one's purpose? What is their metaphysical purpose on this earth? And I don't think anyone ever talks about that. You know, the thing that we also don't talk about, particularly with young people today, is how is it that faith and sacrificing uh, lesser good for greater good and, and telling the truth over lies and being honest instead of taking something that doesn't belong to you. How does that really play out into the success of life? Because, you know, we have this thing called the immediate gratification. When you lie, you rob somebody of the truth. When you steal, you rob someone of their goods. When you have sex outside of marriage, you get that immediate feeling. But there are consequences to that. But we never really, really bear down into a very deep conversation to say, but if you do those things, the good things, the things that you don't immediately get applauded for, uh, you uh, don't necessarily get a trophy for, but when you do those things, 
those are the things over time that sustain and builds the character and, the, and what is necessary for you to overcome the obstacles in life. Many would say you don't necessarily build character through life. It's character that's revealed. Um, you know, I could fall on either side of that. I think as we mature spiritually, professionally, uh, just physically, uh, character can be built. Uh, and then it's revealed through hardships in life and what have you. But you've touched on something here because where society is today, and I'm not trying to say those, those kids today, but we have reached an element where we sort of subjectify, we personalize inanimate objects. I'll give you a classic example is the, is the smartphone today, right? And everything about social media is how do I bring it all about to me? How do I bring it back to me? I'm not saying I'm not here to cast judgment on that. Uh, one way or the other, because there's a lot of uh, good to be gained from uh, modern technology. But it does play in the psyche of us as individuals, right? This is such an interconnected world, and yet if we want to, we can disappear and not connect with anyone for days, weeks, and months. And when you think about it, that's a loss of community, and there's a loss of self-worth there, and, and that's valuable, and you need to pay attention to that stuff. No, I, I, I totally agree, and again, it goes back to you know, this lack of faith, this lack of purpose, interpersonal relationships, and so on. I think that it comes from, you know, again, academic universities, uh, Hollywood, the intelligentsia uh, in general. And I think they do it for a reason. I think they say that, look, there is no purpose, as you brought up theft earlier. I mean, a lot of these uh, intellectuals are socialists. They favor a strong central government. If you look at our Constitution, it's the complete opposite of that. It's about these, this metaphysical purpose, what is the purpose of a human being? Is it to steal? No. Well, I've been given reason and logic and the ability to produce goods and services so that I can voluntarily barter with someone else. I mean, that undergirds the, the capitalist construct. So I think a lot of this has to do with politics, number one, a lot of self-aggrandizing politicians, self-aggrandizing intellectuals and the intelligentsia, and I think that breaks down through society through uh, certain institutions. You know, I, you know people talk about um, where does it all begin? Um, you know, the most important education in the world is that education that begins at home. Oh, yeah. Um, where your parents embrace truth, mm -hmm. your parents embrace discipline, love is always at the center, but also they take you to a church or a gathering where you can learn the virtues and values of life, and you learn that there's some things that are just greater than you. Right. And there's some things that you just have to sacrifice for. Um, and I think what, what, is, what has happened with us today, and I think William makes a very interesting point, it's not just what we have to wrestle with to find our better angels. Society, through the laws, have made it very difficult for parents to raise their children. Just think about who would ever think that somebody would pass a law that if you talk back if, if your parents yell at you, you can call the police. Right. You can call the authorities. If yeah. you discipline your child, mm -hmm. you can call the uh, authorities. Mm -hmm. Your child can sue you. Just those kinds of things only reinforce, as if they knew exactly. Get them away from God. Because the right. first this first sign of God that a child sees is in the eyes of the parent. Sure. You, you remove that parent. You remove their instruction, you remove their discipline, and this is the kind of society you have right. today. And some of those same voices that you mentioned are that you know will enact those laws that say you know if you spank your child, they'll call the police, or if you discipline your child, they're okay with killing the unborn, and they're okay with killing the unborn all the way up until their day of birth. 
So there's this really uh, dichotomy between their messaging, and it's, it's completely unhinged. When you think about, uh, and these are children that are still developing, right? I think the, mm -hmm. the average male doesn't fully develop, their brain doesn't physiologically develop until age 27, 28. And yet they're learning in schools uh, and they're asking questions. You know, we would want to encourage that, right, as they work it out, as they ask questions. And now that's dubbed as a form of intolerance. <laughs> if a child, a student asks uh, an admittedly difficult question, that's seen as intolerance mm -hmm. when 20, 30, 40 years ago, we called that education, right? right? Mm -hmm. So these are, these are definitely issues and challenges we need to address. Um, certainly in the family, there's no greater social welfare program than mom and dad, right? It begins there. That's the strongest mm -hmm. safety net you can uh, envision. What do we, what is society, what are government institutions? Not that they're the end all be all, but they can help foster cultivate those, mm -hmm. uh, those relationships, encourage them. That's what the founders envisioned. That's what we as policymakers, my, myself not included, but others uh, in that space, what do they want to do with that? So pivotal questions, and you have to think about it in the home all the way through the institutions of government. So let me, let me challenge you both. Uh, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on talking about morality. Uh, God will never go bankrupt. Uh, but we've had throughout our history leaders who have done some pretty shady things, right. things that we would not be proud of, but yet they reached the height of power. Or they own slaves, or they turned a blind eye to the, not, to the Jews trying to leave Nazi concentration camps. No. I mean, at the highest order. I mean, because Oftentimes, it's a business decision and not only one of humanity. I mean, someone can look at our president today. And you can say whatever you want to say about President Trump. You know, I have a lot of respect for him. But when you think about somebody who's been divorced several times, um, the kind of tactics that he's embraced, the kind of things that he says about people, um, and even on national TV, talking about Megyn Kelly bleeding. I mean, to people who are already struggling with moral striving, and you talk about being good, that's what's rewarded. But when you see that kind of example, where there is no cut card, right. there is no bottom, and you win the White House, but yet, yet, what is victory? Is it a period victory? Because he's always in chaos. There's always something that's engulfing him. Does he really get to enjoy the success? It's taken away immediately. Right. Do we judge that success just because you're elected and you get to that place of power? Or is there something deeper that we need to learn because we can't have this conversation until we talk about the leaders that do the very things that we sometimes oppose but yet they reach the pinnacle of power how do you put that in perspective someone say well i want to be this way because i don't have to do this they do this right and yet and get it's billionaire make all the money in the world so why should i embrace moral strife i'm happy to take that <laughs> well look i mean you bring up the example of president trump not just trump but throughout history all throughout history. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people in, in the United States of America, if you're talking about us, yeah. there's people who are very faithful in the United States of America, and they embrace it because they believe in God, they believe in truth, they be, they're, they're faithful. And when I say faith, I don't mean a blind belief that there's this, you know, uh, invisible spaghetti monster. I mean that they believe in the reason and logic that leads to the belief in truth or a God. Faith is reason and logic. Uh, you know, 
people always talk about this uh, a belief in God or faith is this blind belief that you're just, you know, you're making it up. You know, you always hear about this, this invisible God that created everything. I don't hear anybody getting into intellectual debates about Aquinas' five ways or St. Augustine or these brilliant men that came for 2,000 years that made arguments for God. No one addresses these things. It's always a no, that doesn't exist. Well, that's a claim, not an argument. There have been men who have come before who were quite brilliant, who made excellent arguments, and I have yet to hear an argument to dissect Aquinas' five ways, but uh, just we'll leave, and, and you know, uh, from that standpoint, I haven't heard a better argument. So until I do, I'm a man of arguments. Until I do, I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to understand that reason and logic leads to this uh, objective truth in the world. You are striking at something that really, the, at the foundation of it all, it depends on your worldview. Right. If you have a biblical worldview, uh, one that says the hand of God works through the glove of history, the cosmic Lord of this universe is sovereign and allows these things to occur, and that creates its own debate. How can a good God let bad things happen to good people? That's a, you could spend three hours on that on a show and, and still not scratch the surface. But if your worldview is through the lens of a biblical, scriptural, there's a, a cosmic Lord of the universe. Mm -hmm. And you can look at these things in this way. At his heart, man is wretched, right? The postmodern view, right. the secular view of the world, and I'm not trying to, well, I guess I am casting judgment. The secular view of the world says at his core, man is good. And just, I mean, look at today's slogans in societies. Pick yourself up. Mm -hmm. Be all you want to be. And while we may laud that and think that that's intrinsically good, it doesn't speak to the heart that we are fallen and that we are broken and that we need something outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if you apply that spiritual, that biblical worldview, the truth, right? It's not an opinion, right? Uh, and it can only be inculcated through an outside force, right? And that's what the spiritual view says is, I am wretched and I am in need of a savior. I am in need of something beyond myself to transform myself. Paul talks about it in Romans, renewing the mind, transforming. That does not occur of my own volition, right? Because as long as I have issues and behavior and I want to deal with my issues, I can't change my behavior enough to where I can reflect a completely perfect individual, right? At its heart, underneath all of this is the heart. The human condition, right? And then how do you say, what do we do to change that so that the issues run through the heart and change my behavior in an intrinsically way uh, that's of value? And, and that's, if you have the spiritual view of that, then all this stuff starts to make sense. Because if it doesn't, it's very easy to be uh, pessimistic about the world we live in. You know, it brings <laughs> me um, to this point. You know, I know somebody's listening to this audio and to this show and probably trying to figure out, well, where was he going with President Trump? <laughs> well, people should never try to guess where I'm going. Because listen, even I can attest to that. God, <laughs> for those that do his greatest work, he found the most flawed men. Oh, sure. Moses. Jacob. Jacob. David. The most flawed men. Mm -hmm. Even Joseph. Mm -hmm. To do his work. So we don't always understand the hand and the purpose of why, but they're there for a reason. Right. Uh, whether it's a a revelation to us and seeing ourselves. Now you take this for example. Uh, every one of us have followed the story about Governor Northam in Virginia. I heard someone say, I'd rather have someone like a Trump in the White House because he tells us who he is, what he is, 
how he is, and there's never any doubt that that's who he is. Right. Instead of someone who leads us to believe that they're this, all perfect, all believing in us, all embracing the cause that we embrace. And in the end, life reveals that's not who they are. Right. Just opposed to it. And that's why Donald Trump was elected. They were tired of this stuff. They were tired of these snake oil salesmen who say they're one thing, and a year later it comes out that, or months later it comes out that they're either in blackface or a KKK hood. We know where Donald Trump stands. We know how many marriages Donald Trump had. We know, you know, he's not, it's not like he's trying to hide anything. He's out in the open, you know, the names he's calling, Rosie O'Donnell and so on. And people are like, I know who this guy is, you know what I mean? And he's probably like the guy down the street or some, a friend that they know. And they feel comfortable with him. And he's not like, he breaks the mold of politicians who say one thing to your face and are completely, turns out to be a completely different thing down the road. That's exactly right. We're going to talk a lot today about isms. And I think um, what sort of haunts politics today is cynicism. And, uh, and you see it reflected in whether it's uh, at the president, at a mayor, uh, at a local official, at the institution of government. And I think it comes down to this. So long as you're looking to another human being, a fallen, flawed individual who they themselves would admit, male, female, creed, race, does not matter. As long as you're looking to that individual as your savior, whatever that is, uh, my provider through a, a check, whatever, uh, leader in the world, military, that's a savior of sort, lowercase s. So long as you look at that, you will always be disappointed because they will fail you in some way, shape, or form. And, and I think what, what happens is too many project a perfection uh, icon on these individuals. He even did it with Ronald Reagan. And we know that his, his policies were not as consistent. Great, listen, great president, don't get me wrong. But fell short in some way. So, uh, if you have that expectation that it's going to work that way and not that anticipation that they're going to mess up, uh, whether it be the president today or Ralph Norton or whoever, then you're going to be disappointed in your political leaders. How do we, there's one institution that has had cracks and now it's become a gaping hole that allow these kinds of things to fester and grow into situations where um, it just seems like there's no insight, insight for the chaos, the violence, the devastation, the lack of respect for human life. And it is the church. Yeah. How do we? Historically. The church. Since the dawn of time. The church <laughs> has been reduced almost to rubble. Yes and no. Uh, I think there's a, there's a trend now for the liturgy, the liturgy. Young people do not find hope in the church. Attendance, you're right. They Attendance just don't find Because they think it's hypocritical. They, 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 they just, how do we? The church can't we, be hypocritical. People are hypocritical. I think a lot of people can't separate institute the institution itself, these particular verities that it espouses from the people. And people are flawed. We talked about this. People are wretched. They have fallen. And I think people put too much stock in what the people are doing and, as opposed to what the message of the church is. Well, and the other fault is, is you, you, the temptation is to look at the church as a building. Mm -hmm. Right, as something that houses, but who does it house? Fallen, broken sinners, right? The only difference between a sinner and a saint is one is forgiven, the other one ain't. Mm -hmm. uh, and really, that's who we are as a community. And that's why God uses his people to effectuate his promises, right? Rarely will you see a burning bush type incident, right? I'm not saying miracles don't occur in that fashion, but usually he uses his people to speak to his people. 
And, uh, and, and listen, there's no question, if you look back uh, indulgences of, of the 15th century, right? That's what helped launch the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther. Uh, these were seminal moments in the history where uh, if you, again, have that spiritual lens, you say a just and righteous God said, I cannot stand for this anymore. I cannot stand for the Egyptian slavery of my people after 400 years. I cannot stand for... Uh, the oppression of the Jews uh, through the Holocaust. This is a, a, a Lord that rises up. And, um, but you can ask uh, repeatedly and point to failures in the church as an institution because it's run by individuals, and, and that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, it's really um, it, it's a gut check in many respects. Uh, but then the moment you start looking at, at the church as the Savior and not the Creator, now you've effectuated religion, right? And not it, now it's not a personal relationship, it's religion. And that's a man-made uh, creation and something we need to be very careful about. I think the question that people really wants to know is that, will it get better? I don't know if it's, <laughs> look, to, to some degree, I don't know if it's gotten worse. I think, you know, right now is the most peaceful time probably in human history. Um, I think you have to look at these things, not just from today, but the standpoint of comparative times in the past. And I think that people are more moral and good. We have a system of capitalism, free voluntary exchange that has brought more people out of poverty than ever before. I think we're moving in the right direction. Are there forces that are trying to stop it? Absolutely. But when hasn't that been the case? I think that, you know, from the standpoint of the United States being a moral leader, um, and following the principles that are in the, in, in the uh, Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution, I think those still permeate, I think they prevail, and I think they always will. Uh, again, there are detractors, but um, I, I think they stand a really tough chance of trying to pull, you know, to, to uh, again, omit our founding documents and change our society whole cloth. I, I, think, I think you touched on something else in what you're saying, is that there's still a lot of good news. Mm-hmm. Reading, the press has just become the engine for the worst of society. Mm-hmm. They feed it, even after the press, after they shut down, all they wanted to do is say, did Pelosi win, did Trump lose? It's all about dividing. It's, it's not about the fact that people are back to work together, back to work again, the government is open. Mm-hmm. They're the engine for this devastation. Major job announcement yesterday in spite of uh, the shutdown. A record number of jobs. 340,000. For the month of January. Yeah. Unprecedented. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, look, this is the casualty of binary politics, right? If I'm winning, you're losing. Uh, I, we could do a whole podcast on this. I have a big problem with that uh, zero-sum game where I don't necessarily have to come up with the better idea, the better policy, listen to the constituent really uh, effectuate change. I just need to make sure that that guy or that gal is losing. Right. That's such a, if you, if you adopt that philosophy, you will continue in a spiraling downward trend in a nosedive uh, to the bottom. And uh, I was on Capitol Hill. I'm ashamed to say I saw it. Uh, I think it's gotten worse. We all, uh, Hill staffers all say, well, in the day it was so much better when I was there. Uh, but really, it's, it's, it's a casualty of binary politics. And I think as a society, and it begins with the voters, we have to address that. Um, you know, look, we have two sides. We have the Republicans and Democrats. Both love power. The Democrats obviously love it far more than Republicans do. They just love power. They love destroying each other. Right. It's about one upmanship. Who can make the other look worse? Sure. But Democrats depend on balkanization of the people, however. 
they always balkanize on identity politics, skin color, this and that. Oh, if you can't make it in this country, it's because the white man's keeping you down. If you can't, you know, they never want to talk about the policies to, uh, that they created that 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 has. Um, you know, cause this division. So on like the welfare state or minimum wage laws, certain things that create some of these racial disparities, they want to they want to make it out like you, the private citizen, because based on your skin color, that's why there's these certain disparities. And you know, vote for me and I'll fix it. And that's where they get this self-aggrandizing power from. They never want to talk about, you know, the state's effect on, uh, you know, uh, blacks and whites. You know, FDR had explicitly racist housing policies that segregated communities that were largely integrated before. No one ever talks about that. No one ever talks about the effect of the welfare state and the black family and how it absolutely devastated it. No one ever talks about that. It's, you know what, the white guy did it, vote for me and I'll fix it. And there's never any policy there. It's just that you're a racist or you're a bigot. Well, what's your policy to fix things? I haven't heard any solutions. I just hear division, balkanization, and name calling. You know, the concern that I have uh, is in today's uh, political realm, there is a lot of weaponization of isms, right? How do you weaponize? Uh, and what's unfortunate, though, too, is a lot of constituencies want to see stark contrasts. So what happens is, um, if you take any of the issues Will has pointed out uh, with our media and others, they want to push you to polls, right? The polar ends of these spectrums. and. Uh, and I think when you look at uh, what the founders intended, the term, by the way, the term compromise is a dirty word in Washington, right? Um, but really, that's what the founders intended. Forget compromise. Let's take that off the table. How about consensus building, right? Uh, there's a lot of consensus these days around some, some significant policy areas. But if, the, you know, and as reporters like to remind me, hey, if it bleeds, it leads, right? We don't go to the airport to get the 500 planes that landed. We go to the airport to get the one that doesn't. And, um, you know, that's a morbid view of, of the it's media. True. It's true. Um, but it's something where what's going to punch through? We live on a continent. You know, the United States is a country, yes, but this is a continent. 340 plus million individuals. So here's the other problem with that, too, is you have the agony of... Uh, just the, the tidbit of individuals, if, it, if you have 45,000 that tweet something, you think 45,000 in a country of 330 million, it's, it's basis points of a percentage of 1%, and yet 45,000 individuals will drive a Twitter feed, right? And these could be corrupt, uh, misguided individuals. Don't care about the truth for the fact. Right. right. And, no, but 45,000 in real term is, is I mean, a drop in the ocean. Yeah. And yet, when some, uh, you have enough to where members of Congress would act, uh, reporters would, would report on that. So, a surplus of information in the world today, a deficit of attention, yeah. and that's a bad recipe for a lot of bad policy. Wow. Sometimes you hate to see these strong casts conclude. What is it that we, the people, need to do, William, to at least slow down because you're not going to stop it I, we the people i think we do our part when we stay in, in public discourse particularly uh, again americans in the middle of the country i always separate them from the intellectual elites on the coast and the intelligentsia because that's who we're primarily talking about here you know we seldom hear american voices in the middle of the country who are faithful people who are moral people who look at these people like gosh look at these nuts in dc look at the crazies in new york and la 
You know, there are people that are our moral center here in this country, and they, they're just, unfortunately, they're not the loudest voices. What was the question again? <laughs> what can we do, what can we do to slow yeah. it down? We're not going to stop it. Well, I think, I think it begins with the individual, right? I think it begins with a dose of humility. If you want to look at it another way, it, uh, it's don't take yourself so seriously, right? Uh, what's unfortunate is um, you have megaphones that are built in everywhere. Cable dayside, you may have only 85,000 individuals, again, in a, in a country of hundreds of millions, watch one cable dayside show, and that individual walks off and think, I just preached uh, to millions uh, and I was rewarded or recognized for that. So I would say it starts with the individual and it starts at, don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> Look, I can't thank um, you enough for joining us for this edition of the Strong Cast, Greg Chris, William Riccadella. I'm Armstrong Williams. Stay tuned for another edition of the Strong Cast. <laughs>